sorry about that. Please turn your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And if you'll go ahead and put your thumb there or your bobby pin or your paper clip or whatever you have, then turn over to Matthew chapter 26 and verse 26. Last week, we shared one of two ordinances that we observe in the Lord's church. There are two that we are instructed to observe in the Lord's church, and, and two only. Uh, foot washing is not an ordinance. Some have tried to implement, want to implement that, but that is not given as an ordinance. But there are two. And last week we shared baptism. And tonight we're going to take a look at the Lord's Supper. And so let's get started with the first detail of the Lord's Supper, and that is the starting of the Lord's Supper. And in Matthew 26, 26, we're going to read here about this. It says, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom." And when they had sung in him, they went out into the Mount of Olives. The starting of the Lord's Supper. Here is Jesus gathering up his apostles. You could say here is Jesus gathering up his church in the evening. The evening before he would be crucified. And it was Jesus who started the Lord's Supper. The church is not a business that man has come up with these things to do. It's our Lord and Savior Himself who is the origin of the Lord's Supper. He started it. It began with, with our Lord, not with man. And Jesus teaches through illustration to us in this ordinance. And, and I like that. It helps us to understand spiritual truths. That's why he spoke in parables, so that we could understand and learn. And I always think about the object lesson with my favorite event to read of in the Bible. I love the reading of the woman at the well. And he used that water to tell her about living water. And, and here he uses these two things in the Lord's Supper for illustration that we might understand spiritual truths. He uses bread and he uses grape juice, unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine. This is the day before the cross and he speaks of these two material items for the church to implement into this ordinance for the remembering of the sacrifice that he was about to make for all of us. 
So we see the starting of the Lord's Supper, that it started with the Lord Jesus Christ. We have the account in God's Word of, of the first observance of the Lord's Supper. Now we also have the subject of the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians, and that's in verse 11 and verse 24 that we read. It says, And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. We know the subject here because the one who started the Lord's Supper, the one who instituted it, is the one who has given the instruction for it. Jesus says, this do in remembrance of me. You know, we, we sing the national anthem and we gaze at the flag and, and it's, it's a memorial of the freedom that we have in this country. You might be mindful of those who have fought for the freedom that we have in this country. And memorials are, are wonderful things in and of themselves in the right way. In the Old Testament, there was a memorial God's almighty great acts were to be memorialized by the 12 stones that were, were under the water and the 12 stones that were out on land. And as the children of Israel would go from generation to generation, they would, they would uh, look upon these stones and the children would ask and, and the parents would use that illustration as an opportunity to tell of the great and mighty wonderful works that God had done and the rescuing that God had given them and the deliverance and bringing them over into the promised land that he promised for them, for them. And so God was into memorials in the Old Testament and, and he also is in the New Testament by way of the Lord's Supper. Who more than our Lord Jesus Christ deserves honor and deserves remembering what he has done for us. The Lord's Supper is a memorial to our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus started the Lord's Supper and Jesus is the subject for the Lord's Supper. But let's also talk about the substance for the Lord's Supper. And, and as I looked at this this week and, and thought about how we're talking about the church and having lessons on the church and and um, God's blessing, and it's a, it's a good time together. And I'm, you know, not everyone, not everyone wants to, to hear about the Lord's precious church, as crazy as that sounds. But, but I think about my time coming up and when I was saved, and, and I didn't know anything about the elements. They were never spoken of, and I, did, I didn't learn about them. But let's look at these elements in the Lord's Supper. Stay there in 1 Corinthians 11. And, and again, I'm going to read verse 24, 23 and 24. It says, For I received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, 
which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. So we have the bread here, and we have the grape juice. We have the unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine. The fact that this bread was unleavened, that will speak to us to be mindful of the sinlessness of our perfect Lord and Savior. And the broken body of our Lord Jesus, He was broken for our sin. So, so we take this unleavened bread, no leaven in it, and we have our Lord and Savior of no sin, but He became sin for us who knew no sin. And His body was beaten, it was battered, it was broken for you and I that we might have a sacrifice made in our place for our sin. The punishment that He took on His body, that was for you and I. That was for our sin what came on the Lord Jesus. Pastor Stone preached a little portion of the message tonight, or this morning, unknowingly, because I have thought this week, I'm not, just, I'm not repeating him, I've thought this week about the fact that our Lord Jesus Christ was not recognizable after he was beaten, after he was mutilated by those Roman soldiers, you couldn't recognize him. He was beaten and he was battered until you couldn't make out his form and that it was him. And, and so he was, he, was, he was beaten and he was put upon that tree and nailed to the tree. And then he was raised by the power of God from the dead for us. We, and so when we break unleavened bread together at the time of us taking of the Lord's Supper, uh, we remember our sinless Savior's beaten, battered body and, and Him willingly giving Himself for our sins. Jesus wasn't overpowered. Jesus just spoke and those Roman soldiers had, had fallen off of their feet. He gave himself willingly to die for our sins. Jesus says, no man taketh my life, but I willingly lay down my life for my friends. And so he became broken willingly for us that our penalty would come upon him. And so you have that element and you have that visual aid that it stands for in the unleavened bread. But we also have the fruit of the vine. And look with me in 1 Corinthians 11 again and verse 25. It says, after the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. And in Mark chapter 14 and verse 24, I'm going to go here and read this also. It, and he said unto them, Jesus says, This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. Verily I say unto you, I will drink no more of the fruit of the vine... Until that day that I drink it new in the kingdom of God. In that battered, beaten mutilation of our Lord and Savior's body, 
he, he bled. He bled. His, his skin was, was cut. The stripes came upon him. And, and he, he bled out his body. When he was pierced on the cross, he bled from those piercings. And he gave his life. He was, he was bloodied in that battering. And then he gave his life and he, he died on that cross. And they took that spear and they put it in the side of our Lord Jesus to prove that he had truly died. And, and when, the, when they made that incision and impaled him in this, his side, the blood and the water flowed. He surely died for the penalty of sin. God set forth that penalty for man. And he became a man and he paid that penalty for us. And his body was broken and he shed his blood for us upon that tree. And he, he gave up the ghost and the blood and the water flowed. You know, we sing, he shed his life's blood for even me. Oh, what a Savior we have in our Lord Jesus. When we partake in the fruit of the vine, in the unfermented grape juice, the fruit of the vine, when we partake, we're reflecting on the shedding of His blood for the remission of our sins. And so He has given us these two elements. And they, they serve as an illustration to you and I that we might consider and, and be mindful of what he did for us when he died on the cross. So there's the substance of the Lord's Supper. But let's talk a minute for the season of the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty five, Just one phrase of that verse that we've already read. As oft as ye drink it. Now, now the first time I ever read that, the word, I'm, I kid you not, the word often did not come to my mind. I remember the first time I read it. And, and I, I wasn't around in 1611. I didn't speak with that language. But when I read that, often didn't come to my mind. But whenever did come to my mind. And, and then when I studied out that phrase in the Greek language, I found out that that was whenever. That this is what this means. As oft... As you take of it, as often as you drink it, it means whenever you partake of it. I found no command for a schedule or a timing of taking of the Lord's Supper. The, there's a lot of emphasis that is put on that by some that, that isn't there. The most important emphasis of this is not when we do it, but what we are doing. We are doing this and we are observing this ordinance in remembrance of our Lord Jesus Christ. Someone heard of another's denomination that they were a part of and... They quickly invited them to church and felt that immediate need. Will you come to church with me? And this person said, well, I would, but you can't fulfill my need. And my need is to take the Lord's Supper as often as I can. And the other, the other, the other person said, that's why I want you to come to church with me. Because of that need that you think you have. There's no 
time limitation. There's no schedule in the Bible for the timing of the observance of this ordinance. And, and let me just add this in. There, there must be caution in what can become routine concerning this ordinance. Because this is not to be something that is just routine in our minds when it happens. Not only should we be cautious about that, there has to be consideration of the spiritual life and what condition the spiritual life is in whenever there's observance of this ordinance. There is no certain season for the Lord's Supper. But as I say that, let me say this. When we observe it, when are we supposed to observe it? As in sunrise, sunset, as in morning, as in evening? Well, we go back to the first chapter that we started in, in, in Matthew 26, and, and we find the setting for this situation. And in Matthew 26, 20, 26, 19, and the disciples did as Jesus had appointed them, and they made ready the Passover. Now when the even was come, he sat down with the twelve. And a few verses later are the verses we started with. And we know what happened when he sat down with the twelve. That phrase, now when the even... All of that has one definition in the Greek, and it means late. It means evening time. Jesus had the disciples gather, and for the origin, for the start of the Lord's Supper, we have the account, and when it took place, and it was in the evening. Some would say, are, are you really going to, to split hairs down, down to that point? Hey, wh why not follow what the Lord put in place at the time the Lord put it in place. We don't have intervals of time that are given in the Bible when to partake of the Lord's Supper. But when we do, there is a time, even in time. So sunset evening is when we observe the Lord's Supper. I, I know a church that observes it on Monday evenings. Anytime it comes around and, and they observe the Lord's Supper, they, it, it happens on a Monday evening. And those who, whose hearts are right... And, and they're, they're, they desire to be able to partake of it, that, that's when they do it. But, but evening time, if we were going to be precise, you know, Wednesday evening or, or just before, you know, would be good. Um, but let's go from the season of the Lord's Supper to the serenity. The serenity of the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians 11 again, and we're going to look at verses 18 through 20. It says, first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be man made manifest among you. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. The serenity in the Lord's Supper. The spiritual condition of the church is an important factor in observing this ordinance. 
we see that Paul pointed out that at the time of taking of this ordinance, that there were divisions going on in the church. And, and so it's very important, the spiritual condition, it's extremely important of the church. We see it right here in the Bible. There is to be unity in the church at the time of taking the Lord's Supper. You know, we're not perfect, and we're never going to be perfect until we get to heaven. But there are most definitely times that unfortunately it is not time to partake in the Lord's Supper. And so there, because there, there's to be unity in the church. But, but we go from the, the serenity in the Lord's Supper to the setting for the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians 11. And we're going to read a few verses here. Chapter 11 verse 2 says, Now I praise you, brethren that ye remember me in all things, and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. Now go to verse 18, if you would. It says, first of all, when ye come together in the church. And then look with me again in, chapter, in verse 33 here of chapter 11. And it says, wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat... The setting for the Lord's Supper. You know, I, I've heard about these cruises, and they are Christian cruises. I don't know what all they do. I guess maybe they have some good, good gospel singers that maybe go on the boat, and maybe they have some speakers where, like, you leave your little, your little uh, cruise room and and they're folding your little towels into animals and shaping them up for you. And it's like you're going off to a revival or something maybe. No, nothing. I'm not going to pick on that at all. But I would pick on it if, if these people who go on the Christian cruise are, are gathering together and, and observing or think they're observing the ordinance of the Lord's Supper and that that's all okay for these random people to gather together and do that. I, I have no idea if that's true, but, but I've heard about it. I've, I've heard that it hap that is, has happened. Now, I, I do know, and two churches come to my mind, and I'm not sitting at home studying or sitting in the office studying and wanting to pick on anyone, but, but for the fact of making a point here, uh, two churches come to my mind that I know of, and... And they have Christmas Eve services every year. And they, they volunteer and tell me this information that it's good that they have these Christmas Eve services, which there's nothing wrong with that if you want to do that. But they, you know, it's kind of like an outreach for them. And they invite the community in. And, and so maybe they have a lot of people come in from the community, guests, neighbors, things like that. Not sure of their spiritual condition. And at this Christmas Eve service, they observe the Lord's Supper. And they hand it out. You know, I, I believe in outreach and efforts. But I don't believe in reaching out with these elements of the Lord's Supper and, and just putting them out there in anyone's hands. And there, there are specific teaching that we have here about it. Look, Paul is writing 
to the church at Corinth. Paul is writing to his church. And the church at Corinth, as he writes to him, he says, when you come together. So it's a no-no on the cruise, okay? It's a no-no for the family on vacation. It's a, it's a no-no for, for family gatherings or even for a Bible conference of, of, you know, all of these different churches coming together. No setting is appropriate for the, the observing of the ordinance of the Lord's Supper unless it is a church. Paul is writing to this church at Corinth, uh, an assembled body, an assembled church gathered together. That's the setting for partaking of the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a church ordinance, and it's to be observed only by the church. And we're going to talk about why as we continue on. There's no Bible instruction for individual partaking. It, you know, it's an act of worship by the church when the church meets. When the, when in the midst of the assembly, it's, it's worship when we partake of the Lord's Supper together. You know, as far as the individuality and people thinking that's okay, you know, just simply think of a board of directors whether it's a school or some organization, if a board is functioning as they should, you, you might have 20 or, or 30 people, but you have one mouth, in a sense. As in all, all 20 or 30, they come together, and, and one thing goes out from a spokesman for the entire group. There's no individual individuality in there. There's no acting independently. And it's the same with the Lord's Supper. As Paul is writing to the church and he says over and over, when you come together, when the church assembles together, this is the setting for the Lord's Supper. How about we talk about the saints in the Lord's Supper? Because that is... Um, that's highly talked about uh, with, with a few different views. You know, there, there are those who practice this ordinance who say, and they say, if someone is a believer, if, if you're a believer, you can partake of the Lord's Supper. You a believer? Yes, I am. Well, you can partake. You know, how many witnessing opportunities have come about where the person that you may be witnessing to first states they are a believer. Yes, they believe in God. They have faith in the Lord. They, they, they'll say something like that. And then as you witness to them the truth of salvation, they discover that they are not a believer. Yet you, you have one belief that it's, that it's okay for anyone who professes to be a believer to partake in this supper. This is called open communion. When the church says any believer may partake, that's open communion. And then we also have close communion, and there's closed communion. Close and closed. And what is the difference here aside from the D at the end of one of them? Well... Close communion. That is the belief that those of the same denomination can observe the Lord's Supper together. 
So, so if, say, a Baptist church, they are uh, having a service where they're observing the Lord's Supper and, and you have a family passing through on vacation and they're a real spiritual family and they go to church on vacation, they pass through town, they, they stop in the church and, and it happens to be Lord's Supper service. And, uh, I, you know, I, I guess what is uh, con- conveyed to one another, well, we're going to observe the Lord's Supper tonight, you... You Baptist? Yeah, I'm Baptist. Okay, well, you can observe the Lord's Supper with us. Close communion is the belief that those who are all of the same denomination can observe the Lord's Supper together. You know, I, I had a couple of friends that, that they were going on vacation, and they did pass through a town one time. And this isn't funny. I laugh at things that irritate me sometimes. Uh, don't try to make sense out of me that way. But... I guess it's the way it was told to me, but my two friends go through town and they go to this little country Baptist church. There might be a dozen members and, and it's getting heated. They're having a business meeting and uh, my friends were going to leave and they said, no, stay. And so they're sitting there and they're, they're having their knockdown drag out in the business meeting and all of a sudden they, they have a tie vote. I kid you not, they asked my friends to enter into the vote now, 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 when you think about, when you think about do all things decently and in order, you know, that man, that, that, that's serious. That's, I, can't be, I can't believe it, but I do because of the source who told me. They asked them to vote to break their tie one way or another. You know, I think they knew, my friends knew better, so they voted against one another, left it to tie and left. <laughs> But, but, but close communion, you know that, okay, what, what was that? that that's, that's all of one denomination, and, uh, and, and they can observe. And then there is closed communion. If a church practices closed communion, that means it is strictly for the members uh, of that church. That, that are to observe that ordinance, the members of a church, as Paul is writing to a church here. And, and he says, when you get, gather together, church at Corinth, Corinth Baptist Church, whatever you, you want to call them, when you gather together, this is the time to observe the Lord's Supper. You know, for there to be a need for unity in the church, Paul addressed the strife. Paul addressed the division. For that to be a harmful and, and, and an improper condition for Christians to be in, for there to be a need for unity, then, then careful observation of the flock is to be made of the condition of the church. You know, the, the discerning of the spiritual condition of the church, it, it, it's, it's to be made. It's to go on. You, and, and so... If there's to be a discerning of what's going on in the church and, and the spiritual condition of the members and the unity or lack thereof, you know, you know your own church, but you don't know the spiritual condition of Bob and Sue passing through town and, and they come in and they, they attend the service and sure, they want to partake of the Lord's Supper. You just don't know. You can't know someone's spiritual standing, you know, and, and there is an obvious responsibility of our walk with the Lord when we partake of the Lord's Supper. 
And, and you know, you know, there are those who, you know, you can state, you can state that, okay, it's time for uh, observance of the Lord's Supper, and, and this is for the members of Lakeway Baptist Church. And, and you always have those who say, I'm a child of God, what's wrong with me? Why can't, there's always one in the bunch. I'm a child of God, why can't I partake of it? And, and you know what? Some will. Some will against the clear instruction. Now, now there's some who, who, who don't know. And, um, and I'm not saying they're willy give, willingly given to, but, but it happens. But there are others who just dogmatically want to go against the, you know, respecting the church that they're in and, and, and how they observe and whether they're closed or not. And, and they'll just take one anyway. And, and we're not going to arm wrestle and fight anybody in the aisles you know, to get it out of their hands, but, but, but you have that uh, disrespect that happens in it. That, that might be a sign of their, a little bit of their spiritual condition. You know, to, just think about it. That, that's for nothing. But, you know, if there's known sin and there's known strife uh, within a church, if that's going on within a church, there is the authority of the church to counsel, to help handle that situation. It's known, and the authority is there to, to deal with it and speak the truth in love and in the loving way, deal with it in counsel and, and help the situation. If it's not a member of the church, there is no authority of the church that they are a guest of to, to administer a, a counsel, uh, or, or impose authority upon this Christian. You know, there, there, is no, there is no right of a church to exercise its authority of someone who is not a member of the church. So that comes around to us understanding why we're a closed communion, because there is a responsibility concerning the, the conduct of the Christian and, and their walk with the Lord and the church altogether, whether we're divided or, or whether there is harmony. And, you know, and, and some people talk about how strict the restrictions are on that. You know, there are restrictions in all three of these views. You know, there's a restriction even in open. There's a restriction that you must be a believer. In close, there's a restriction that, hey, it, it doesn't do just that you're a believer. You have to believe like us. You have to believe of the, like the denomination that, that, uh, that, that we are of. And then there's the restriction of the closed, that it's for the members of one church only to participate when that church is assembled. You know, only... Within a church, do we know the spiritual lives of one another and the condition of the church? So that's why the church only participates in it. You know, 1 Corinthians 5.12 says, We judge them that are within, but not those without. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 21 says... You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. 
So, so where the rubber starts meeting the road here, it's not just for the members of one church. It's for the members of one church who are in fellowship with the Lord, in fellowship with the church. 1 Corinthians 11 and, and 17 through 22, he says, now, this, now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that when you come together, uh, that you come together not for the better, but for the worst. First of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it, for there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, everyone taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. What? Have ye not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise ye the church of God? And shame them that have not. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you, I praise you not. So we see that one is to be in the proper spiritual condition. If, if not, one is not fit to take of the Lord's Supper. Now, that does not mean that the Christian is to say, or to take the stand that, look, I, man, I've got that besetting sin and it has just risen up and it's going over and over me. I, uh, I'm going to do the righteous thing and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back out and I'm not going to partake in the Lord's Supper. That's not the righteous thing to do. The righteous thing to do is to, to believe the promise of God that if we confess and forsake our sins, He will have mercy. And if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So right then, right there in that moment, we can, we can tell the Lord what we've done. We can, we can explain to Him how we've offended Him. And, and we can be willing and desiring that He give us the strength to forsake these things, to turn from these things, and, and he knows our heart, and if that is our heart, he makes us right and prepared to be able to observe in the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, uh, immediately to be able to do that. And we'll call that the sentiment toward the Lord's Supper. Corinth being the example here, uh, they're not a good one. They're not a good one. They turned the Lord's Supper into something else. They turned the Lord's Supper into this fellowship-type meal and in a very divided and very selfish way. As in maybe those well-to-do members, they showed up early with their T-bone steaks and had their fellowship meal and their time together in one click. And then you had another group come in later and they had their peanut butter sandwiches and all that was left on the plate of the other was that T-bone from that steak they had. I just, I just used that to, to, for us to consider the, the division and the unhealthy spiritual condition of the church and the taking the Lord's Supper and turning it into uh, the wrong meal in the wrong manner. And they were judged. Look at 1 Corinthians um, uh, 11 again, and we're going to look at verses 27 through 30. It says, it says, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread 
and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. We're, we're just going to wrap this up and, and consider, consider where we started with, with the subject of the Lord's Supper. Our Lord Jesus Christ. He started it. He is the subject of the Lord's Supper. This do ye in remembrance of me. And look how far the church drifted into the cliques, into the divisions, into that unworthily manner because their minds and their hearts were not fixed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, He is the subject. He's the one who started. We have record in the Bible of the very first one that, that was ever uh, implemented, and Jesus did it. And we're to keep our minds and our hearts fixed on Him, that we wouldn't allow anything to make us go astray or be distracted from looking unto Jesus when we come together, when we assemble together to partake of the Lord's Supper. And, and you know, and every time I think about the Lord's Supper, it's not a time that there's ever an invitation. As a matter of fact, this is a rare occasion that any time we teach on the Lord's Supper here, it's usually going to be a series of messages, anywhere from two to even up to six, to prepare us for when we do uh, observe this ordinance. But that's not the case right now. And, and, you know, we don't have a time of invitation, you know, uh, when we observe the Lord's Supper. We do as they did in the Bible, and we sing a hymn, and we all go out. But I think of the great opportunity. I think of what it teaches as we would consider Jesus Christ and how His body was broken for you and I, that the sins of the world came upon him. The sky turned dark, and he became sin who knew no sin, and he was broken for us. And then they shed his blood on the cross. His blood was, was shed for the sins of many, the Bible says. For, for every single one of us, Jesus shed his blood. It's the only thing. It's the only thing that can cleanse us from sin. And so we take of the, the unleavened bread and consider the sinlessness of Jesus Christ. And then we take of the grape juice and consider His blood that was shed for you. And I, it was shed for us, but I say it was shed for you tonight. If, if you are that someone here who has never appropriated Jesus Christ to your life by trust and faith. When you take of the bread and you take of the fruit of the vine, it doesn't become the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus inside you. And there are some who believe that. 
but there is the appropriating of Jesus Christ to your life by trusting Him as your Lord and Savior. Jesus took all of your sin on the cross. And there's... Why did He do that? Why did God do that to His Son? Because there's not absolutely one thing we can do of any good to earn what Jesus paid for for us. And if you're here tonight and you realize that your sins, though they've been paid for by Jesus long ago, they're still on you. You still have that penalty hovering over your head, the guilt of sin weighing you down. Would you be free in Jesus tonight? Would you trust Him as your Lord and Savior this evening by faith? Jesus, I, I am a sinner. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I, I trust you tonight. I take you as my Lord and Savior of my life. Thank you for saving me. Salvation is simple. Would you do that tonight? We're not going to have a, an invitation as we normally do, but, but it's always an invitation. It's always an invitation after the Word of God and before you leave this place that you would grab one of us, that you would grab your Awana teacher, your Sunday school teacher, that, that you would come up to the, to the old associate pastor here, and I'd love to talk to you and share the Bible with you as many would, that you might know the saving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to pray, and service is uh, going to be over in a sense, but... But you come to one of us if you don't know Jesus as your Savior and be saved tonight. And let me just go ahead and interject as we close. Re remember